I know you. You are afraid to speak up. You are scared of what other people think of you. And you blame yourself for what happened to you. I know how it feels because I've been there. If you found me, I'm so grateful you are here. This podcast will give you hope. And I'm your host, Anna Ditchburn. I'm going to hold your hand and provide the guidance that I needed the most. It's time for you to find your why and turn your experience into your superpower. So lock your door, put your headphones in, and enjoy. Terry Wellbrock, welcome to the world's best trauma recovery podcast. Oh my gosh, Anna, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, yeah, to have a great conversation about trauma and recovery and healing and hope today. <laughs> it's going to be an amazing conversation. Yeah. Uh, Terry, and you are a psychologist, you are a writer, and uh, you are an amazing host of the Healing Place podcast and the founder of the Semis Bundle of Hope project. I'm wondering, what is this? The same is uh, Bengals of Hope Project is about. Yeah. Well, first to clarify, I'm not a licensed psychologist. I have a degree in psychology, but I just don't want anyone to reach out and be like, hey, what's your input as a psychologist? So just to clarify that. And Sammy's Bundles of Hope was a project I started. We have a therapy dog, Sammy, who is a Labradoodle and the sweetest, sweetest soul I've ever met. And my daughter, who's now a teenager, but at the time she was, I don't know, nine or 10 years old. And she and some of her friends were saying, I wish we could do something to help little kids who are going through trauma or hurting. And I just thought it was such a, they're just such sweet kids. And I thought, let's do something with Sammy related. And so we came up with the idea to collect bags and we had people donate little pool string bags and all different kinds of bags. And then we started reaching out to folks like therapists and trauma um, people who work in the trauma recovery arena. And they donated big boxes of stress balls or bubbles or journals and markers. And so we all of a sudden had this collection coming in of things to put in these bags to help kids who might be going through maybe some bullying, maybe they've had a death in their family and they're experiencing some grief, uh, some sort of trauma or some sort of adverse childhood experience. So Sammy's Bundles of Hope, yes, we started visiting homeless shelters that housed children. So families that were there. And we also started visiting Oh my gosh, I'm so drawing a blank where women can go. So safe houses, that's it. Safe houses where women can go if they've left an abusive uh, home and environment and brought their children with them. And so we started visiting those places, bringing Sammy with us as a therapy dog, because she and I are a therapy dog team, and then delivering these bags to kids. And we wrote a little book when my daughter was nine, she and I called the doodle with the noodle. <laughs> And it's about Sammy and it was written for preschoolers. So it's very simplistic, but it's about loss and, and how to overcome losing something that you treasure and love. And 
we started putting a signed copy. We put a little paw print of Sammy's in each of these books. Like she signed the book as the author and we put those in the bags. And, and so it was just a way for us to help kids because I've certainly been that kid who's been going through horror and just to offer them something that maybe they can have a stress ball to squeeze or maybe just some bubbles, just something to help them stay in the now and just keep their bodies calm. And that's our, our little project. You do such an amazing job. <laughs> and it really sounds like a whole bundle of uh, hope and joy and happiness. Mary, what improvement have you noticed in those kids' behavior? Oh, well, I tell you what, if I can just talk about just Sammy's presence, I, I've noticed such incredible shifts in children. We were at a school working through the counselor's office at an elementary school. And I think this little guy must have been about fourth grade. And they came in and we, Sammy would do 15 minute intervals with these kiddos uh, working through the counselors. And one of the counselors came in and said, would it be okay if Sammy met with this little guy, this little fourth grader that's not on schedule today? And of course, absolutely bring him in. And I could tell he had tear stains down his face where he had just been crying all morning. And this was very early when school started, maybe around nine. And he sat on a beanbag chair and Sammy was instantaneously on him. Um, here's this big labradoodle as big as this fourth grader. And she just, she just snuggled right into him. And he just had his hand on her head and was just, no words were exchanged here. And I just sit there. I don't, I don't intercede at all. I just let Sammy work her magic. And this little guy just started loving on Sammy, loving on Sammy. And suddenly his, you know, his sniffles dried and his tears dried. And he, and then, I could see he was starting to engage with her and he started giggling and Sammy was trying to lick some tears off of his face and he just thought it was hilarious. And so by the end of, he ended up staying the whole hour. And by the end of that hour, when, when we were in that room, he came, he went from being this frightened, scared little guy who was hurting tremendously to being this, joyous, just laughter filled kid, again, with no words exchanged, it was just love and presence. And I, I learned so much from Sammy and the way she would engage with people. Well, after he had left, the, the counselor told us that um, his sister, who is a teenager, had attempted suicide. And so his parents had to be at the hospital with his sister who did survive. I found out later. So he was alone at school and scared and not knowing what was happening with his sister. Was she going to live? And so Sammy was able to just bring some calm into his life. I get a little choked up. I'm starting to get a little teary. I just thinking about it because it's just such a powerful, powerful gift in exchange. And again, I've, I've learned a lot from a sweet dog. What an amazing story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's very close to my heart because when I left my house at, at the age of 21, I got a small Pomeranian and he really saved my life. He gave me a purpose in my life. It was a, such an amazing feeling just to have him next to me. So 
Terry, you are doing such an amazing job. Oh, thank you so much. And I just feel, I call it my soul work. Well, all of this, all of this in the trauma recovery arena is my soul work because I just feel compelled to shine a light of hope uh, because I've been in that darkness and it's a scary place to be. And I just want to, now that I've made it through that healing journey, and I'm still on the healing journey, it's a, it's a forever path. Um, but to be able to be in this place of joy and tranquility uh, and reach my hand back into that darkness, I just I just feel called to do so. <laughs> Terry, and I know you've suffered a lot from panic attacks and complex uh, PTSD. Where when did it start? Oh, my journey! My journey all started with uh, horrific trauma um, that I can remember. Um, going back to four years old. And I can certainly go through my trauma story uh, and just to paint the picture and then what transpired after that, if you would like. Yes, please. Okay. So when I was four years old, an intoxicated parent attempted to drown me and my one-year-old sister in a bathtub. When I was five, I was sexually molested for the first time by a 16-year-old neighbor alongside my five-year-old best friend. When I was nine, I was actually molested by a 19-year-old neighbor when my mom sent me for a can of soup. When I was 10, I was repeatedly molested by my choir director. Also, during those first 10 years of my life, my dad was physically abusive uh, until he sought counseling and then stopped hitting us when I was 10. My mom was an alcoholic my entire life, so I never knew who was going to show up at the end of the day. When I was 14, I was sexually accosted by a religious education director in the rectory of the priests where I worked in the evenings. When I was 16, I lost my virginity to date rape. Um, Later that same year, I was attacked by a gang of youth in downtown Cincinnati with my friends. One of the police officers involved in that investigation asked my parents if he could take me to dinner to celebrate the 49 out of 50 convictions for that gang attack. And they said, sure, he's a police officer. And he did not take me out to dinner. He took me back to his apartment where he attempted to rape me. When I was 21, I was involved in a bank robbery where a gun was held to my head. My coworker was stabbed three times with a hunting knife. They did not catch them. And three months later, uh, they would return to our main office where I had just moved. Only this time, uh, the man who had gun, held the gun to my head would pull the trigger and murder my coworker. Uh, I had run from the back of the bank and came face to face with a second armed assailant who pointed his Luger at me, but the gun misfired and my life was yet again spared. So that was my crazy first 22 years of life. And those are just the highlights. There was a lot more interwoven in all of that, like money struggles and so forth. And so after that, I just, I started to have severe panic attacks and I was on antidepressants and I was on anti-anxiety meds and I, it was, it was the 80s into the 90s and there really wasn't a big knowledge of trauma and the impact that it has on our bodies, brains, systems, spirits, the whole, you know, the holistic view of trauma's impact. And uh, I just struggled. I just struggled every day, not knowing if that was going to be a day that I would wake up having a panic attack or experience one throughout the day. So I started having them while driving. I started to have them in open spaces. I couldn't get from my car 
to the grocery store. I, I became agoraphobic for a while, but just an overwhelming fear of fear. And then in 2013, I decided I, I just couldn't do it anymore and, and found therapy and my therapist recommended EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, a big mouthful. And I ended up finding just a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, EMDR therapist in Cincinnati, who was actually the president of one of the EMDR national boards. And she had, interestingly enough, a Labradoodle who was a therapy dog, Cody, and when I went in to meet with her, Cody just was on me and cuddled in my lap. And that's why we ended up getting Sammy, the Labradoodle, because I was so just changed by this dog and this sweet little animal, just knowing I needed that love and that. So it just had a profound impact on me. I spent four years, uh, 98 sessions doing EMDR therapy and, uh, we slowly, slowly dumped all of that trauma that I compartmentalized into a big pile on the floor. <laughs> and I started to learn how to process it and deal with all of that, that scary sensations that were in my body. And then the panic attacks dissipated and I don't have them anymore. So that is my story. <laughs> wow. What a story. I appreciate you sharing this with us. Thanks. Terry, how does this healing process works, EMDR? How does it work? Oh, EMDR. Oh, I'm the I'm EMDR. The, yes, I am the biggest fan of that. So, so eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So what Dr. Shapiro, who's the founder, discoverer of EMDR, was working with soldiers who had returned from war and noticed when they were speaking about traumatic events in war that their eyes were moving back and forth. And so she came up with this way of uh, going back into traumas where you either look at a light bar that makes your eyes go back and forth, you follow it with your eyes, or I held paddles in my hand that would vibrate left to right, zzz, 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 back and forth. Uh, there's sounds you can put headphones on that will have sounds going back and forth. But the whole gist is to go into what, when we go into REM sleep, rapid eye movement, that's when we have those vivid dreams, right? And we process the day's events. And I sometimes say, you know, if you, if you wake up and go, why did I dream about a giant tomato chasing me down the street? Like, are those crazy dreams, right? And then, but then if we would think back, a lot of times it's subconscious. Oh, we overheard two women sitting at a restaurant who were talking about getting food poisoning because they thought the tomatoes were bad. And so- our brain goes, oh, tomatoes, bad. Let's process that. We process it through a crazy dream and then it's gone and it no longer haunts us. It no longer is a, it causes triggering. Well, when we go through horrific trauma, so many times it overwhelms our system, overwhelms our bodies, especially, you know, like me as a little kid, having all of that happen to me, my body couldn't handle it, my, my mind, my, all of it. And so it just became this trapped, stored negative energy that I didn't know what to do with. And so EMDR gave me a way to then revisit those traumatic events safely. We would do a lot of grounding work. We would do a lot of check-in, like, how, where do you feel it in your body? I'd say, oh, my stomach's 
you know, flipping. Oh, somebody feels like somebody squeezing my shoulder. So those kinds of like body sensations, body memories. And then we would go back into the trauma. I would, you know, follow the sound, follow the light bar and just notice what comes up. And sometimes, again, it would be a body memory, like, oh, my legs are tingling really, really bad. Or, oh, somebody squeezed, gripping my shoulder. Um, or it would be the crazy things, like I'm riding my tricycle in the sky. Like, but, but then we would follow it. And again, it became almost dreamlike, but consciously to allow myself to just process and work through so many of these horrors. Uh, and then... I would be exhausted and cry a lot afterwards for the next 24 hours because, but I kept going back and kept going back because every single time, and again, I might cry, (laughs) I felt just a little more healing happening. I felt a little more hope because I thought I was broken forever. I truly did. In not understanding yet brain plasticity and the fact that we can rewire our brains, we can change the way those neurons are firing huge. It changed, it shifted everything for me because now I understood that I could heal this, that I could still have the memories, but not have the emotional charge connected to it. So like me just now going through all those traumatic events, I don't feel triggered. I don't feel panicky. I don't have anxiety. And I, and I almost sound robotic when I <laughs> rattle them off, but it's because I no longer have that emotional connection to it. Isn't it a great feeling yes. to feel free <laughs> from those emotions? Yeah. Terry, I just wanted, I wanted to go back a little bit to your childhood when your parents first attempted to, uh, to kill you in a bath. Why? <laughs> have you ha- ever had a conversation with them? What was happening? Yeah, good question. So- my mom, who is still alive, my dad passed in 09 and we did healing work together before he passed. So I, I feel very at peace with my relationship with my dad. Um, my mom is 86 and she's now living sober. Uh, she didn't quit drinking until she was 82, 83. She had a little stumble this past year, but she's she's back to living a clean life. But when she quit drinking it in, at 82, I was standing at the foot of her hospital bed with my sister next to me. And this story of the drowning had come up and we just, and I said to her, mom, you have got to start facing your own childhood traumas. What happened to you? What happened to you? And man, she cut loose. Like it was that, it was that moment. And she started sharing the horrors that she had been through as a child, violence at the hands of her own parents, um, sexual abuse. And and again, you know, I was seeing myself through her eyes and I was like, all right, now I'm starting to understand it. It's not an excuse for her behavior, but now I was really starting to step back and not see it as, oh, I had this alcoholic parent who was neglectful or uh, didn't treat me in such a loving and compassionate way when alcohol was involved, which was often. And I started to say, this was a very healed little or hurt little girl who, who is now 80 something years old and still hurting and is still that hurt little girl. And so I started to 
do some healing work with her and talk about these things like the bathtub incident, but she started seeing a therapist and she, she started to do her healing work. So that's why I always tell people it's never too late. Like here she is in her early eighties and doing her healing work. And now she just, I mean, she was always a happy little jovial lady. Um, you know, I loved her when she was sober, my just the most amazing human in the world. I just didn't like her drinking, but she's just happy and joyous and loving life and living sober. And I, I couldn't, I tell her all the time how proud I am of her because she did the healing work in her eighties, but why she tried to drown us was she, you know, she told me, I wanted you to go be with Jesus. I thought this life was too hard. It was, and I was, I was really wanting to save you from this life by sending you somewhere that I think is peaceful and loving. So while I think that's horrible, <laughs> I also understand now that that was her trauma talking. What made her to stop? Oh, well, again, that's another part of the trauma story. My dad came into the bathroom and I don't know if an angel whispered in his ear or what inspired him to open that door, but he did. And he punched my mom and knocked her across the bathroom and she landed between the toilet and the sink. So again, very violent. My mom tried to stab my dad with a butcher knife, but he lifted a chair and it went through that. I watched my mom be arrested. So there was just, there was a lot of chaos just woven into my entire childhood. Uh, again, you know, when I talk about my trauma, I just kind of point in some bullet points of things that had gone wrong or hor horrific, not even wrong, horrific. But, but, but that was just the way, that's just the way my life was. And uh, so I grew up thinking that was normal. I can resonate with you. I felt like physical and mental and spiritual and sexual abuse was normal. <laughs> Terry, when your first sexual assault happened at the age of five years old, did you tell to anyone? That's been something we've been revisiting. I, I, I've been going through a health crisis physically the last year, doing much better, thankfully. But I started back to EMDR here in South Carolina, I found a wonderful practitioner because I thought I want to take care of my mental health along this, this physical journey. So we started to go back into, into that. And one of the things that uh, I tapped into was standing in the driveway at five years old and trying to tell my dad and him responding, we don't talk about that. So I don't know if that was an actual moment or if that was just like my brain trying to wrap around the fact, but I will say that two of my, of the predators that uh, accosted me as a child, the 16 year old, the first time when I was five, he threatened to kill my mom if I told anyone. And then um, the 19 year old, when I was nine years old, he also threatened to kill my mom and we live next door to them. So I, that was, again, part of that um, that I internalized and took on that weight along with being sexually accosted and sexually molested of taking on that weight of if I tell anyone, my mom will die. So, again, 
I'm on the fence about whether I tried to tell my dad or not. And whether, again, that was a processing thing or whether I really did try and he couldn't handle it. Because then once I started doing all this healing work, oh my gosh, then I dealt with my dad's trauma in his childhood and everything started to make sense because I started to look at it from, oh my gosh, my dad grew up with an alcoholic father who was abusive to him. And and I again, I know I'm repeating myself and I'm not making excuses. It's just coming from a place of understanding and compassion without excusing the behavior. And I completely understand what you're talking about because looking back at my stepfather's childhood, him growing up with alcoholic father, a very abusive man. And I remember my grandmother was telling me all these horrendous things. And she, and she wasn't a kind person either. She called my stepfather a very horrendous words. No wonder he was, he was passing on those kind of behaviors on us when he was like horribly controlling and abusive. But it helped me to forgive him, honestly. I saw him as a five-year-old boy who is so scared and so damaged by his parents. And that's why I believe it's so important to heal. Oh, Anna, my heart's hugging yours because that's how I've, I've dealt with all of my forgiveness journeys. And I know forgiveness is one of those, those, I don't want to say taboo, but one of those subjects in the trauma arena and the trauma recovery arena where some folks are like, I'm never forgiving. I'm not going there. Don't ask me to do it. And I, I say, everyone's on your own journey. If you're feeling moved to forgive, certainly do the healing work, but it's not a prerequisite for reaching a place of, of happiness and, and um, peace. But I did the same thing. I Let's just take the bank robber. Uh, James Mills, the one who who killed Marsha Berger and had held the gun to my head. Well, I finally took a, a step back and said, you know what? He and I were both born these innocent little babies, right? These little creatures. And somewhere along his path, he chose, and yes, it was his choice, but he chose to go down this dark road, this dark path that included violence and crime and Uh, all that he had chosen. But when I saw him as this little being, as this like little being of light, I was able to then forgive his soul. And it wasn't necessarily that I forgave him and his actions, but I was able to forgive his soul and this little creature. And so that's how I was able to do it. So I love it that you did this, did a similar forgiveness. And you're right. It's not about absolving the responsibilities. Not, it's definitely keeping a person unaccountable for his actions, but it's more for, for, your, for your own health and for your own soul. <laughs> yes. Terry, have you forgiven your mother? Oh, most definitely. I just adore her so much. And I, I can't even, there's no animosity. I talk to her every day. We live a couple states apart now. And she truly is just a sweet, loving, kind, compassionate, beautiful soul who was very, very broken and dove into vodka uh, as a way to cope. And 
I, I get that now. And I understand that now. And even when she fell off the wagon um, within this last year, she had, uh, it was at Christmas. I was very kind and very patient and very um, just compassionate with her. And she was able to pull herself back together. But I also understand, you know, our codependent relationship. And so we've healed that. And I'm no longer the one that goes in and saves the day and cleans up the mess. And so that's been a part of that healing. But, you know, just to help you understand a really quick little story about my mom. So this was when my mom was still drinking. She did this. She was my sister and I had bought her this beautiful red wool coat that she had wanted so much. And she lives in a, in Cincinnati, Ohio, which it gets really cold in the winter. And a couple of months after Christmas, like maybe, I don't know, March or April, I I saw her wearing her old black beat up coat. (laughs) And I said, mom, where's your red coat? We just bought you. You can wear it all the time. It's not just for fancy holidays. And she said, Oh, she said, I was at the library and I saw a a teenage girl standing there waiting for the bus and she was shivering and she didn't have a coat on. And so I said to her, do you not have a coat? And she said, no, I don't have one. And she said, so I gave her my new coat. And that's just the way she is. Now, at first I was irritated because I was like, oh my God, mom, I gave that to you for Christmas. But then I took again, I was like, oh, mom. You're such a beautiful soul. Like that's how she tries to live. And so she really, really does try to do what's best. And she's has said, she's sorry for what we went through. She says, I won't know. I wasn't the best mother. And I say, mom, you did the best you could with what you had. And um, that's all I can do. That's all we can give each other. Exactly. Through my own healing journey, Terry, I've realized on my own experience as well, that drinking and, you know, taking drugs, I haven't been taking drugs, but my, my husband did gambling, sex addiction, um, all this escapism, uh, it's all the result of childhood traumas. It's not just because we have nothing else to do (laughs) or because we are bad people. It's something is triggering those behavior in us. And now you are a mother of three beautiful kids. Terry, and how your your own healing helped improve your relationship with your kids? Oh, that's such a great question. And I love it. Where my my sons have certainly been through their journey because that was a very toxic, tumultuous relationship that I had with their father. Uh, I left him uh, in 2011, but these kids grew up in that environment. And I had a therapist ask me, I had taken my, my youngest son, uh, they're now 28 and 26, but I'd taken him when he was a teenager. And the therapist literally said to me, why didn't you pack these kids up and leave sooner? And I just remember sobbing and saying, because I thought I was making the loving choice. Like I thought by staying in this toxic relationship, because we lived in this perfect little community with our dog and our beautiful home. And the kids went to their little Catholic school. And I thought that I was creating this beautiful, perfect life for them, not realizing they were living in just absolute toxicity. And so now they're doing their own healing work. And I'm so proud of them because my oldest is in EMDR therapy. And I'm like, yeah, I love it. Because in, I'll call him and say, you know, how's it going, buddy? And he's like, 
oh, I just did EMDR and, you know, it's tough, it's rough, but I keep going back because I can feel the healing work happening. So he had a traumatic incident in college. As much as we try to protect our kids from trauma, it, you know, life, life comes along and, and knocks us off our feet. And so I love it. These, these 20 something year old kids, I call them kids because they're my kids uh, are doing the healing work and that they are armed with just these amazing coping skills and mom filling them up with this over these last you know few years. And they're meditating and they're doing yoga and they're practicing all these things that I preach all the time. And again, I hate to see them hurt, but I'm just so darn proud of them for uh, the self-care that they're putting in place in, in doing the healing work that they need. Amazing. And I also believe that we need an adversity in our life to grow, but it, it's, it matters. Um, I just, when we leave it unresolved, unhealed, that's when the impact, the negative impact start working. Absolutely. Yes. I, I talk about it often <laughs> and the, uh, I've had so many people say to me through the years, well, not so many. I've had a few people say to me through the years, just let it go. It's in the past. My mom tried that with me at one point before she had done her healing work. Oh, Terry, that happened so long ago. You, you, you can't dwell on that. And finally, I was like, all right, mom, we're going to have a little talk about ACEs mm -hmm. science, which is adverse childhood experiences. And I'm going to help you understand the way it trauma impacts our brains our chemistry, our bodies, our spirit, it has a profound impact and we can't just let it go. It's not the way it works. And until we do the work, do the healing processes, and I'm not talking you have to do EMDR. I mean, there's somatic healing, there's tapping, there's whatever therapy, whatever modalities you go through to do your healing work, uh, as long as it works for you. And I tell people like, Figure out what works for you. Try different things. I have this coping skills box that's toolbox that's humongous because I'll try Ho'oponopono Hawaiian healing and I'll try tapping or emotional freedom technique. I'll try meditation and just give it a whirl. See, see what clicks for you. Terry, how does it feel for you being healed or like start healing? What sort of feelings you have? Life altering. I, I, I just feel so very blessed. I, I've always been a person of positivity and people would say to me, Terry, you radiate joy. You're always smiling. And how did you live through all that? And I'd say, I have no idea. <laughs> but then I realized I also had high resilience in my life. I had a grandmother in my life who was incredibly loving, such a sweet, gentle soul, never yelled at me, never hit me just a beautiful presence in my life. I had a second grade teacher who was invite me to her house and give me a little, I still have a little heart trinket that she gave me a little Holly hobby ceramic and little container that I kept like jewel earrings in and stuff. And so my, my feelings now are that trauma can come along or, or moments of life can come along. It doesn't necessarily have to be trauma, trauma, like this illness. Normally, this would have knocked me for a loop, right? But instead, 
I've looked at it from such a different lens through the healed lens and said, okay, what lesson am I supposed to be learning through this struggle? What lesson am I going to take away from this? And so, yeah, there's days where it's hard and I cry or I struggle a bit, but then I take myself up to the beach and I sit and I meditate or I pray and I look at the dolphins and I just allow myself these moments of being in the now. I practice mindfulness daily. I talk to my little lizards that live on the bushes in the front yard and I, you know, allow the bird songs to just permeate my being. And I just practice gratitude and I practice mindfulness and live in the moment. And then the scary stuff isn't so scary. And I feel joyous and peaceful. I can feel your joy and I can feel your peace to the screen of my laptop. And the first time when we met, I saw your sparkling eyes. I saw your beautiful, big smile. And I could feel I, I could feel your energy. And it, it was before you start telling me your story. And I couldn't believe what you've gone through. It's a magic what's happening when you do the healing work. And what helped me is not to forget and move, and move on, but to face my deepest, darkest, really go deeper and see what this situation was teaching me about and i i believe that a trauma can be a very powerful source of inspiration for self-development and self-healing and self-love it just depends what story you want to believe in whether you want to keep going as a victim or whether you want to keep going as a striver yes i love it and i talk oh i so often bring this up on my show, as well as conversations with folks who are going through difficult times, we can move from being a survivor to a thriver. And it's all a matter of being willing to go back into that darkness. And I'm not going to lie. It's scary to go back into that darkness. But when you have hands to hold like yours and your beautiful work, mine, and so many survivors who have done the healing work, Oh, how many folks I know who are in working in the trauma recovery arena who are trauma survivors and they're doing it because they know that we all need a hand to hold. And so they, we all just keep reaching our hands back in like, come on, you can do this. Come on, you can do this. Grab a hold. And uh, yeah, and it's a beautiful place to be as I, as I know, you know, to be, to make it through that. Terry, and what inspired you to start your podcast, The Healing Place Podcast? That's such a great story. (laughs) So I was working in a a mental health agency in the school systems and uh, putting that psychology degree to use. And one of my friends was a therapist and she was in her 20s at the time and I was in my 40s. And um, she said, Hey, Terry, we should totally start a podcast. (laughs) I was like, that sounds awesome. What's a podcast? (laughs) I had no clue. (laughs) So she was said, oh my gosh, we'll just totally do it. So she and I started this podcast, the Healing Place podcast. And 
our first 10 episodes we did together um, and it was just silly. It was talking about angels and aliens and, you know, we would get serious about trauma and so forth, but it was just a fun, silly podcast. And she ended up getting a job offer at a children's hospital and was running a private practice as well. And so she was like, it's just too much. It's too much for me to do. Uh, with two jobs as a therapist. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to keep going with it, but I'm going to take it in a little more serious direction. Yes, we still laugh and smile on the show, but I wanted to make it more about really focused in on trauma recovery. And uh, that was the way it started. But I just started reaching out to big names in the trauma recovery world I thought, ah, what the heck? I'll reach out and say, hey, would you want to join me on my show? And some of these names came back and said, I would love to be on your show. And oh my God, like these people, some of them I just consider still dear friends. We're friends on Facebook. They're just beautiful, wonderful people. I learned so much from them. I've watched some of them blossom into these amazing, huge businesses doing healing work and touring and writing books. And now, again, they're teaching me how to do that journey and finish my book and launch it and, and all of that beautiful, beautiful healing work that, that comes with um, then turning that around and offering it to others. Your podcast is so amazing. And you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult topic, but the way how you, how you interview people and how you create this safe and open environment where people just can open up is amazing. Oh, thank you so much. I, I again, I just, uh, I feel so blessed to be doing it because I think, wow, it continues to blossom. It's been downloaded in 114 countries, but I also interview people from all over the world. <laughs> oh my God. It's just, I'll have people reach out to me from New Zealand or, um, Gosh, Italy. I just had someone on from Italy, uh, just from all over the world. So it's helped me reach a, a global audience. And then I just, one of my guests came on and said, where do you rank on listen score? And I was like, what the heck is listen score? <laughs> this is how I learn, right? So I popped on and it's in the top 2.5% wow. of podcasts globally wow. out of 2.8 million. And so again, I'm just like, oh my gosh, how did this happen? It's so crazy mm -hmm. awesome. So I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for helping people to heal throughout the world. Oh, well, thanks. I, again, I, I feel blessed to be able to just know so many beautiful souls and have them come across my path because I certainly learn from them as well during these interviews. Terry, and what tools do you use to help your clients to heal? Oh, I think every, no one is a cookie cutter, right? Like, no, we just don't have these cookie cutter solutions. So everyone is an individualized plan. And so just helping people understand one that, no, you don't have to meditate to do healing because so many, some people will be like, I can't do it. My mind, I can't get my mind to turn off. It's okay. I couldn't do breath work when my therapist kept telling me, you know, do practice these breathing exercises four square and but all the different types. And I thought I can't do it because breathing to me 
it would bring attention to the fact that I was in my body. And at the time I was still doing the healing work and I was terrified to be in my body. I would rather like be outside my body, a little dissociated <laughs> and not be in my body. And so, yeah, it's it certainly, again, I have this huge collection of coping skills. And so it's a matter of going through and letting people really find what works for them and coming up with a healing plan together uh, is the best way, in my opinion, to help them figure it out. 100% agree. We're all different. Terry, where people can find you? Oh, thanks. So my website is terrywellbrock.com, and that's T-E-R-I, which is just one R, and then W-E-L-L, the letter B, and then I always feel like I need to be like rock, R-O-C-K, <laughs> like do the rock symbol. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, oh my gosh, the Healing Place podcast is pretty much anywhere you want to tune in to podcasts. So iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, uh, and then also on YouTube, I do videos uh, of the shows. And then uh, I also have some online courses and my coaching is available at academy.terrywellbrock.com. And that's my school. Um, so those are probably the best places. Oh, and the Facebook page is just the Healing Place podcast. Um, I think there's like 5,600 folks there right now, but I just tried to put out a couple posts today with inspirational quotes or memes or stories. And then obviously the interviews. Amazing. And before we go, Terry, do you have any concluding thoughts? Oh, hashtag never give up. That's one of my, and hashtag hope for healing. Those are the two I use because there's always hope for healing. Uh, absolutely, 100%, no doubt in my mind that uh, you can do the healing work and uh, never give up. Even in those moments where you feel overwhelmed, you're struggling, reach out, uh, find a hand to hold. And, or even find a paw to hold, right? You can find a Sammy and hold a paw and uh, you can get through this and, and never give up. Thank you so much, Terry. Ladies and gentlemen, Terry Wellbrock. Thank you for being here today. I know it's not easy. If you are ready to take this journey all the way, I can help. To find more about my unique method of turning your past trauma into your superpower, or how to connect with me best, go to anandichburn.com. This journey isn't possible to do on your own. So make sure you like, subscribe, and review the podcast so we can help more people like you. And if you have someone in your life who is struggling to overcome their trauma, this is something you can give them that truly can change the course of their life forever. We'll see you next time for another episode of the world's best trauma recovery podcast. And just remember, you are able to help yourself and you can do it right now.